What's up to everybody out there? If you're receiving this message, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Cut Talk Radio. Today, we have a guest, a special guest, somebody who's never been on the podcast before. His name is Matthew Mejia. Matthew is an American poet whose work explores trauma, fear, grief, and the self. His work often draws from his Japanese, Mexican, and indigenous ancestry. And in his own words, Matthew shares how important this is to him. Quote, I am my ancestors' dreams, and their bones are mine. Using his art, he continues to heal generations of violence and abuse in order to unify communities and different people from different walks of life. On top of that, Matthew is also a CEO. Uh, he founded the company, the project, Nervous Ghost Press, and it began with the fundamental idea that writing saves lives. He also believes that all people deserve to experience the beauty and the power of art. On top of all that, he's committed to emphasizing the power and importance of each and every individual voice that we can offer with our unique perspectives. Matthew, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, can you please say hi to everybody and, and let them know anything I might have missed? How's it going, everybody? Thank you for for having me, I'm excited to meet you first of all. And it's kind of neat to talk about art and how we can work together and build our community and grow. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Art is one of those things that I think are is underappreciated. You know, I think um, when we look back on history, you know, I, we could talk about this a little later. But just in general, you know, when you look back on on history and if you want to get a feel for the time, I think the art of that time really is the stories, you know, how do you feel about that? History and art. I agree. I mean, I talk to my students every once in a while about certain things that what can or we can't believe based on what's in the textbooks, who wrote it. And why right, wrote right. It. But when we look at the poetry, the paintings, the songs, the music, the sculpture, all of the art, all of the stuff that comes from the, the dark place and the pit, it's, it's the truth. And it shows us exactly what that person was feeling in that time. We get to kind of bypass all of the maybe the walls or the defenses that we put up when we're writing a textbook or writing a story or, or something that is more correct I suppose yeah yeah and uh we'll definitely get into the to that dark place those those deep emotions uh, uh but before that I just want to ask so like what do you think is is it about art that resonates because I feel like even if you look at something ancient right like uh you know you mentioned we what we share is the mexican heritage you know the indigenous populations the uh you know from the aztec empire the triple alliance of the mexica you know going all the way back to the omics you know but for some reason when you look at art when you look at sculptures for example the omics made big hits there's something about just the idea of expressing i i the idea of expressing ideas you know kind of a paradox but it's like that's the most human thing you know what, what do you what do you think about that yeah it's the humanity of it and this is why art is so important too is that when we're looking at art whether it's me or you or three thousand years ago our parents or grandparents or superheroes or people we look up to when you're writing something that is human that is painful and vulnerable we are all 
seven years old and scared again. It right. doesn't matter what we have, what accolades, what degrees, what labels, how tall we are, how short we are. We're that same thing, the little kid who's scared, the heart that hurts, the tears, the fear, and everything in between in that moment. And so why it resonates is because it transcends culture, language, title, position. It it brings us to a point where I look at you and I say, hey, we're the same person. We're, yeah. we're both hurting in this moment and the art lets us break through those barriers. Right, right, yeah. And I think, all right, so, so in a very cliche fashion, you know, I thought since, you know, we have a poet on the podcast, it'd be cool to start the episode off um, with a poem. You know, my favorite poet is uh, Charles Bukowski, so I chose a Bukowski poem. So if you don't mind, I just want to go over this poem and then get your thoughts on it. And I think it'll resonate with the audience. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so this poem is called Spark by Charles Bukowski. <clears throat> I always resented all the years, the hours, the minutes I gave them as a working stiff. It actually hurt my head, my insides. It made me dizzy and a bit crazy. I couldn't understand the murdering of my years, yet my fellow workers gave no signs of agony. Many of them even seemed satisfied, and seeing them that way drove me almost as crazy as the dull and seamless work itself. The workers submitted. The work pounded them to nothingness. They were scooped out and thrown away. I resented every minute, every minute, as it was mutilated, and nothing relieved the monotonous ever structure. I considered suicide. I drank away my few hours of leisure. I worked for decades. I lived with the worst of women, and they killed but the job had failed to kill. I knew that I was dying. Something in me said, go ahead, die, sleep, become them, accept. Then something else in me said, no, save the tiniest bit. It needn't be much, just a spark. A spark can set a whole forest on fire, just a spark, save it. I think I did, I'm glad I did. What a lucky goddamn thing. And that's the poem uh, yeah. by Bukowski, you know. Uh, so so he's, I think, explaining this is a good encapsulation of the working class struggle. But you as a poet, you know, what do you see there? What are the emotions that you hear there? The biggest thing is, and this is what I talk about a lot these days, is that there's so many of us who want to write we want to create art in some kind of way, but we had to get a real job at some point. We had to go and pay the bills and do what, we're, do what we're supposed to do based on what society tells us to do. And we're sitting there and we're wasting away. Like you said, he resented the years and the hours and the murdering of these years and so on. And that the spark is, is the poem. The spark is, you know, you pick up your paintbrush and you make one stroke. And you, maybe in that moment, you've lived more than you've lived in 15 years. And that we have to say that. Because with that one pen or with the word you write and you're, you're actually living and you're doing something and you're putting something out there that is from inside of your bones and your blood and your guts and, and our bodies, that then, like Shakespeare said in that one, I think it's on 18, it's always, it's my favorite sonnet, but it's, as long as men have eyes can see or whatever, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. And so with our art, with our writing, 
we're immortal. And I think that's like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and you know, you brought something up interesting there, right? It's like, it's like you you can easily be captured by the by the society and the conformity way before you find any sense of individuality, you know. And I think that's the idea that he captures there really good is that he's already talking from the point that he's escaped the cycle, you know. But reflection upon the cycle brings up a frustration, kind of like a like I can't believe I I conformed. Uh, and and even though now that I look back at it, I can see that that everybody is conforming. You know, we all just conform and and even seeing people that that aren't complaining the way that I feel like we should be complaining, it, that drives me crazy. Cause you know, like I think especially when you come from a community where uh, it's not conducive to creative thought, it's more of like status quo. You act one way, you think one way. If you go outside the lines, you're gonna be labeled weird. You're gonna be labeled, you know, the the funny, you know, the the whatever the case. You know, you're just it's gonna be seen. You're gonna be alienated from your own community. Uh, and I think in those moments we get that like transcendent experience of self-reflection, where we're like, oh, all right, um, what can I do with this information? You know, what what can I do with this? Because sometimes we feel like we have to escape it. Sometimes we feel like we have to. Uh, reinvested and so that that kind of goes into my first question so like you know i mentioned you're a ceo and that's an important step you know that's a big step to make um to decide that you want to own what you do you want to uh take the initiative to create a platform for others you know so what's the importance of that to you what does that mean not <clears throat> this might be controversial not too much you know, like it, it is, but at the same time, my whole entire purpose for creating this organization is, is you, it's everybody else, it's our community. And so if I get to be a ghost, right, of course, just in the background and not exist and the focus is on everybody else, that would be ideal. But also I understand about representation and I hear representation all the time, from my colleagues and my students and that whole world. But what I've always wondered or a hope anyways, is that we have people who, who represent us, who are us, not just maybe the same color as us, but there are us in our hearts. And so that's what I want. I want people to see that our community is strong together and that we have the same voice on fighting for it. And that's what hopefully people can get from it also. And was that your experience, what I was describing, that did you ever feel alienated from the community as a creative? All the time. That's... I was, I was excluded from spaces. I had the wrong, either I had the wrong look, I had the wrong mindset, I had the wrong ideas, I had something they didn't like. And so they, I couldn't speak, they excluded me, they didn't invite me, it was, you know, horrible, of course. And then they say things like, well then, start your own. So I did. Because, right, we can see in the experiences that, that we live through, get it, show us what we don't like. And then, like you said, we can go and we can learn, we can be educated, we can educate ourselves from anywhere. It's not just school either. As a professor or college, you don't say it, but we can learn anywhere, no matter where it is. It's not just a classroom. And then we take all of that, we take the knowledge that we gain, and we build our own podcast, we build our own company, but we build our community from the ground up the way that we know is best because that's where we're from. And it just makes it just makes sense, I guess, but it's difficult, especially when you are so small. 
in the beginning. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I think you you touched on like some very important things that people need to think about critically. Is like, first of all, I think you admitting that there's much more to learn outside of the class makes you an even better professor because because learning isn't really a a, a linear thing. You know, sometimes you learn about three different things and then those things intersect at a place that make gives them all meaning like history is like that for example um or even more complex concepts that like mathematics and, and you know language things like that um but still i think the emphasis of 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 instilling the value of education rather than you know the cookie cutter method of I'm gonna give you some assignments, then I'm gonna test you on it, and you're gonna pass this and never give a crap about it after you graduate. You know, that's kind of just, that's a very, uh, how do I say, industrious perspective on education, you know, which comes from, I think, the greater society where we pretty much treat everybody like a product, you know, rather than an individual. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was, uh, again that idea that sometimes we all right so so you mentioned right like you might see people that look like you and one one way that people capture the minority is by having token representatives and then on top of that by uh by uh hijacking the the status quo of a culture so what we think we're seeing is people who represent us but you know, deep down, you know that it doesn't resonate with you, and and I think that's important to uh, to pay attention to, you know, because you see people like you mentioned, you see people who are kind of faking the funk and they're pretending to be this person, but then like you question them or or you want to get into a thoughtful conversation with them, and suddenly they become tyrannical, like nah, you can't ask these questions, no, sit down you know, just follow my system, you know, so then it's like, is this really a passion play or a power play for you? You know, what is, have you had those experiences where you run into people like that? Yeah, all the time. I mean, and in, in all the different industries that I've been in, when I was in construction, when I was working at kitchens and the education system in the literary world and the arts world, it's they're there. And what I've realized is a lot of people, if you can't give them something or they can't take something from you, they want nothing to do with you. And in the beginning, it's, oh, yeah, hey, dude, let's hang out. Let's work together. Let's, co let's collaborate on ideas, on projects. Let's do all this cool stuff. And then at some point when you are showing that, hey, man, you're, you're not going to use me. I'm not here to be tossed around and then thrown away. And the texting stops. The messages stop. There's no more communication anymore. And it's just very, it's very defeatist. It's very fatalistic. It's very, I don't know, parasitic, I suppose. And there's so many, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think about why people behave that way? Like, like, what is the root of that behavior? I have, I have a lot of theories, you know, That's some it, of them, I mean. some of them are, it's either out of kind of self-preservation, being defensive, being afraid that or insecure that we're not good enough to be able to take. If we don't take from them and build ourselves up, then we're going to not exist anymore. We're going to fail. We're going to be ignored or or glanced over so we have to kind of push you down to elevate myself instead of i mean there's so many resources and on the planet every single one of us can be fine like it's not there's not a a lack of anything to where i need to cut off your legs to to make it and 
So I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of insecurities, a lot of defensiveness, but then not having the ability to communicate that defensiveness and say, and, and articulate how we feel. So then it comes across as awful. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I tend to, I tend to kind of like take a psychological perspective of like, okay, why is this happening? You know, because that's one of the things that we're often most unaware of is our individual psyche. Like what, what is it that affects the way we rationalize what is it that what are the presumptions that exist in our mind that we are unconsciously operating under without without knowing you know and when i hear you say that about people that i, I mean it's definitely been my experience and just in general there's this i don't know if it's a fine line or i don't it's like this really strange phenomenon where people like you said they adopt a message without actually they're not actually practicing what they preach but the message itself yeah. is sort of like it's like a marketing tactic in some way you know yeah. like you know when a company kind of and we'll get deeper into this but like how companies kind of just like they'll put out a message and they'll pretend that they support something but really they just want more consumers to buy their products you know and and you're lying to yourself if you if you don't honestly consider the fact that they're you know trying to sell you something at the end of the day you know and i think again like this industrial shift where we look at each other like you mentioned more for what can they provide me in terms of value and not seeing the bigger picture of what what how can we change society by not conforming by not just doing the playing the same game over and over you know yeah and that's i mean that is exactly like <clears throat> these days i'm very much an advocate for mental health anti-suicide all those things and like you just said all these because there's so many companies and organizations and celebrities that are pro mental health all everybody's oh yeah go talk about your feelings cry it's awesome do all these things and yeah suicide is up there's fifty thousand people i mean right. 2020 almost two million attempted it and I'm sitting here, if everybody's advocating for it, why are more people killing themselves? It doesn't make any sense. And so it's just, hey, we put the sticker on our on our logo, come buy our food, we care about the same things you do, and yet nothing gets done. And it, so that's it's it's gross. Yeah, and I think I think it's irresponsible too. And but you know, this is this really stems I think from the greater uh the model that we use within our economy that is capital you know that we just maximize profits you know so it's like no no rules as long as you're trying to maximize your profit like oh you're, you're just trying to make money oh okay you could do whatever you want yeah. but you know when you market something like depression you know we see this trend um where people are becoming more depressed especially at a younger age especially ab among young men you know not to say you know e a, a good majority of young women as well but just it skews more towards young men in the current state. So it's like, these are questions that we should be asking why, but the illusion of success in terms of economics makes it seem like oh, it's everything's fine. You know, things are moving as they should, you know, it's just the way it is, you know? And meanwhile, there's people who are literally like addicted to opiates, you know, dying by overdose, you know, uh, voluntarily taking their own life that's not a state that you get to 
easily. You know, that's something that that's a culmination of emotions over time. So I think the fact that we ignore this, but again, so let's I'm gonna pull the conversation back to art because I you know, just to bring it a little positive at the motion at the moment, yeah. you know. So art is one of those ways that you can really channel those types of emotions, you know. And so as I mentioned in the intro, you know, you have a unique cultural background. Some people with the same background may feel as you felt alienated, whether it be because of their heritage or just because maybe they don't belong, they don't feel belonged in the group that they're supposed to, you know, and it seems that, you know, you have an interest in your ancestry and I want to know uh, how, how that influences your work, number one, and how important do you think it is for people to know their ancestry, know their history? I think it's, I think it's very important for us to know where we're from, just to have the knowledge of it, because there's so many, there's so many records of a lot of different people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years it's been in the family chests forever and then there are some where we have almost zero records or the one who knew died 30 years ago and now history is lost so i think it's very important that we know where we're from to understand kind of the in many cases the atrocities that they endure that the the awful acts of violence that they survived and they and they pushed for for us to succeed because in my view my ancestors weren't murdered and destroyed and lived through horrible acts of violence and hate for me to be a punk ass right they right. endured and said no we're going to survive so that at some point our descendants will be successful that will be happy it will be worth it and so lately what my my quest into that i guess has done is this it's let me write in a more holistic way where I try to look at my my grandpa's perspective and then maybe their perspectives and how does it channel down to me and what am I leaving behind and where their bones or mine kind of came from was I was writing a poem and I'd been thinking about it and I was like, oh, I wonder where they were, what what sand they stood on and what dirt they walked. And I realized I'm walking on the same dirt they walked because we have the same bones. And it was like, I was like, no, it was like the coolest thing ever. And that wherever I go, they're with me there, no matter what, because it's me. And so it's it's been it's been really cool. It's hard to, I guess, have those conversations. And then of course we're gonna complain about things in my life. And I think back to them, and I'm like, I ain't got shit to complain about, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting because you know as I'm hearing you speak, I'm I'm feeling that empowerment just from hearing you, you know. Uh, with the little knowledge that I do have of my own heritage, like that, there is something very empowering about knowing the generation, the the history of your generations, and especially if you're indigenous to the land, your ancestry is indigenous to the land that you're walking on right now, you know. Um, and, and that brings in another question, which uh, another idea, which is the idea of purpose, you know, something that I think a lot of people struggle with in the modern era, especially because of, uh, you know, I think we we have an indefinite struggle of the human condition. I think that we can all argue on how free and how much liberty we have. And that's a that's a good conversation to have. I don't see no problem with that, but because uh, it it. it it holds accountable those that should be providing that liberty. So I think that's good. But what I also think is good is to appreciate the moment, you know, like we are, like you mentioned, right. They might have, we might have ancestors that their whole life was work, 
work towards either building a community or as you mentioned work towards just making sure they pass on their generations their their genes you know and and they got here you know and that's one thing that we really have to consciously do is you know we we take the moment for granted without even realizing it you know like we criticize history we criticize our own actions sometimes we criticize each other without even like just thinking like I'm living this now moment and I should just be grateful for that. You know, at the very, like just start there and then work your way backwards at least. Uh, and I think the lack of the now moment comes from, you know, the society that I'm mentioning where you're, you're living so quickly and ideas are constantly being thrown at you and marketing the, the scheme of marketing in the, in pop culture, especially, which is another question I have, but I'll get there. Uh, it's it's like thrown at you in such a frequency that you don't even have a chance to think for yourself like i wonder how many people like if we could do a percentage like how many what percentage of your ideas are actually your ideas and what percentage is things that you've been conditioned to believe things that are just constantly in your face so you you just accept them as reality you know what's your what's your perspective on that i think a lot of ideas are not ours just i mean if you look at and this also i was looking at when I was doing my mental health stuff, and then I'll go back to purpose, I think it all kind of relates in art. The use of social media as it rose up, the, the suicide attempts also went up. And I was like, oh, duh, obviously. But then there's no way I'm going to wage a war with the social media companies. <laughs> like, right, right. So. But what we can do is that what I'm realizing is the more and more we're on our phones, and especially at a young age, if you're 12, 14, 15, and you're seeing all of these people so let's say you and I, we're, we're little kids. We haven't finished puberty yet. And we're looking at all these jacked dudes with millions and milli millions of followers and asking myself, what about me? <laughs> You're yeah. You can't look like that. Also, there's steroids. They're not teaching you any of those things. That you're, it's yeah. all the marketing, like you said. And then what is that little kid not going to understand? Anything. And then, of course, we as a society, too, we're not communicating to them. We're not telling them, hey, you're 12 years old relax let's work out together maybe as you get older and i'll help you get to that point but then because of our phone use because we're so connected but we're so alone these days which is very sad is that if you ask somebody just straight up like what do you want to do and they won't have an answer it'll be either money focused it'll be something really large as opposed to i want to make pottery man yeah. Then do it right have a, have some type of purpose like that have a have a hobby there are so many people now who don't even have a hobby because either they think it's silly or they posted something online and only got one like it so they don't care anymore it's not so much about what am i doing for me it's what am i doing that you think looks cool and i think that's it's it's backwards but yeah we got to get back to where we think for ourselves and believe it and then don't care about what other people think about it do you think that's where the lack of purpose comes from is because people are you know in some sense they're all chasing the same cheat the same piece of cheese you know and it's like without asking why the chase is occurring and why there's a mentality that we need to uh step on each other's toes yeah i mean we're told at a young age right you got to get the job to get the money to support to pay the bills to do all those things and yet we don't know well why why is it money it could be something different it could be, you know, your passions. Well, I dropped out of architecture school. I told my dad, I'm like, I'll be a poet. 
but I'm not going to be a starving poet because I'll keep working at McDonald's. I'll keep working in construction. I'll do whatever I have to do. And every hour that I was washing dishes was allowing me to write another poem and, or to paint whatever it was. And if we have that mentality of it doesn't matter where we're working, if we're doing the thing we want to do, then we're succeeding at doing the thing we want to do. Because if you want to be a painter, you don't want to be a painter to be a rich painter. You want to be a painter because it's something beautiful, because you're changing something inside of your heart. You're making yourself feel better. You're making someone else feel better, maybe. But then at some point, we have kind of hijacked our passions that they have to be money. Or you yeah. can live a, a passion-filled life and make zero money from your passion and be absolutely content and happy and purposeful. But we, you know, everything nowadays is you got to sell it. I mean, you don't have to sell it because it's here. It's coming from this. This, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, and I think that's a great message, you know, that we, you know, the hijacking of passion, that's a very interesting way. I think it's an accurate way to put it. Like, because I forgot who, I forgot who, who said this quote, but there's a quote where they talk about, or it's not even a quote, it's just a passage, where they talk about how when we industrialized, when we switched into the mode of economics that we have today, uh, there was an instant acknowledgement that we need workers. And in order, and people naturally aren't going to work. Uh, you see, because America has this, uh, it has principles. That's what's good, right? It has the Constitution. So things have to be held to a constitutional standard. But that, what that does is it makes people more creative in the way they, they apply a tyranny. And so, so they had to find a way to constitutionally create slaves. And what they did was they just hijacked passion, hijacked the psyche and created a, the, where the conform, the conformist mindset is what you, exactly what you just described. I got to sell it. I got to, I got to do this. I got to work for it. And then if somebody, if somebody is an artist, you want to say, oh, you know, get a job. Like, you don't even know why you're telling them that, you know, but you're just, for some reason, they need to get a job and they need to make money. But that's like, just shows really how, how it, how that idea has permeated from the society into you and it's corrupted you, you know, and as corrupt as the society is and as, uh, as they say, money is the root of all evil, you know, that's a fundamental truth. And the only thing that balances it is the fact that money also okay this is what i wanted to get into is that you know um, we're speaking to a working class audience we represent a working class community here in south central and this is this is exactly the state that we're in we're so poor that we have to think about money as the number one priority because there's there's no you know in the maybe in the future hopefully i i think that they'll figure it out but in our current time right now people are poor like poor to the fact that they have to be working so many hours check to check if they have kids they got to provide for the kids and you know like maslow's hierarchy of needs is something that is used in psychology you know the pyramid that says how what's important to you and if you can't meet you know if you're struggling with the basic need of food water shelter then just meeting that first level of of survival is going to be like 
the achievement scale. And now that, that's not to say it's not an achievement. Of course, it's an achievement. Salute to all the people out there working their asses off because that's a, that's a, an existence as the poem described, right? One day you wake up and you realize that you've just, all this time has been killed. You've given all, it all for what? To make cheeseburgers at McDonald's so that the, the CEOs could kick back money into their own pockets. Uh, and you were just one little cog in that machine, but it, but it, it fed your family. So you could be grateful for that. But there's no purpose in that, ultimately, you know, uh, at least no individual purpose. Like you mentioned, you could get a job and invest in your own dreams. And that's something that we emphasize for people to do. Like, if you don't know what you want to do, at least save up the money. So when you find it out, you can start investing, you know, little by little. And and uh, that's a big mission here. You know, that idea of the, the process and also, you know, when survival is in the process, you know, this is the next question that I want to ask you, because you mentioned having to survive, having to make money, having to work jobs, washing dishes, construction, you know, hard labor, uh, but still needing to maintain a level of creativity. So I want to know, like, can you give us some insights into uh, your creative process and rituals or practices that you use to kind of remove yourself from the reality of work and uh they help you to tap into those emotions, those experiences. Like, how do you convert that into something creative? Yeah, I have a lot of nightmares. I don't know if that ha if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. when I was when I was washing dishes and washing dishes, it was so it was it was great. I loved it. it Hurt my hands every once in a while. The water was really hot. But when I was there and I was doing the work, I just let, let your your mind wander. And I tell my students all the time, like, just let your mind do what it does. It thinks, but let it think. And while it's thinking, it's going to go to that bad place. It's going to go to the pit. It's going to go to the happy place also. But you just have to trust yourself enough to let your mind wander. And when it when it wanders into the room that you don't want it to go to or when it finds that piece, that, that inspirational spark, then you have to be able to trust yourself to go, I got to catch it and write it. Because sometimes if I'm sitting there and I'm really trying to write a poem, it's not going to work. It just doesn't. And so what I've done these days is I try to just sit down. I'll let my mind wander here or there. Maybe I'll listen to a song that reminds me of something or while I'm driving and I'm paying attention to the road, of course, because driving, you have to drive safely. But my <laughs> mind, again, I'm thinking of these things. I'm reliving the nightmares in my brain. I'm reliving the dreams in my brain. And when I hit that idea, then I got to write it down and see whether or not it becomes a poem. Or then sit down and I always have drafts on my computer or on on papers or whatever it is, of just ideas that popped in my head one day. And I don't force myself to sit there and write it. I wait until just my body says, all right, hey, let's write today. Because what I realized is that when I try to manufacture something, it doesn't work. It comes out and sounds fake. It's not as good. It's not as creative. It's not as, it's not as pretty. It just is boring and it's dull. And so my process these days is to just trust that at some point this well, tell me I'm ready to write it or to paint it or whatever it is. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and also, you know, when you, when you're capturing ideas, you know, cause I think, I think a lot of people have good ideas that they forget, you know, mm -hmm. because they don't write them down or something like that, or because they don't take their own ideas that serious, uh, or the third option that they feel like 
I guess it's the same thing. They feel like their ideas aren't special, you know. But, but sometimes, you know, the the beauty of art. I forget what, you know. I have like quotes that always pop in my head whenever I'm thinking about things. But, you know, like this idea that um, art sometimes is looking at the same thing with just a different perspective. You know, not necessarily coming up with the whole new idea or coming up with some thing that doesn't exist but just looking at something that's right in front of your face and just giving a new perspective on it and i think you know uh, like bukowski did in the beginning you know like you look at a mundane job you look at a mundane existence an existence that seems to be pretty pointless but then you can write it in with such poetic language that it becomes a work of art and and i i think it kind of connects to what we're talking about in the in terms of how passion is hijacked where if if you don't if you reduce to a state where you see yourself as just a worker then that also discourages any type of creative work you know um and so yeah i think that's something that that i think people need to hear but like for all right so for you like because i found it useful in my experience but like why do you think writing down ideas helps so much for you because you can either remember it just very practically but also when you write something down out of your body onto a piece of paper you can you can manipulate it now you have power over it instead of it eating and festering in your mind and in your heart you put it on a canvas you put it on a book you put it on a paper and it's yours to control it you can crumple it up eat it set it on fire rip it throw it away not throw it away save it cherish it frame it you can do whatever you want and it's yours and so we're, if we're able to do that, then we're capturing something that was in us and we let it out, but in a very controlled and focused kind of way, instead of just opening the floodgates and it's gone and there's no purpose like we talked about. And so writing down our ideas is also a very cool way to kind of capture who we were, like we talked about with history. And so I have notebooks and I'll go back and I'll read them and I'm like, oh, you, oh man, you said <laughs> Like that was a stupid idea, but it's also really nice to see how it was. Because I wish that my great, great, great grandparents or grandparents had those types of things. So I can realize, I wonder what they did when they were 30, when they were 28. Like, I wonder what they thought about in that situation they were in, whatever it may be. But we don't have it. And so I'm, I'm very much an advocate for, you have an idea, write it down. Because we will forget it. And I forget a lot of my ideas. And you think, but it's so good. Right, so good, I'll never forget. And then you wake up tomorrow and you're like, who was it? Yeah, no, that's a real, that's a real, real experience. I think when you, like, sometimes you, yeah, it's weird how ideas have that impact where you think they're so good, but yet still forgettable. But but that's also, uh, that also ties into, I think, we live in a very fast, fast, in terms of data that goes into our brain, existence you know like you're always being hit with screens that have messages social media with agendas so it's always constantly pushing your own ideas to the back and you're accept you're adopting the social ideas the ideas of society as a whole you know um but you know to talk about ideas when, when i read through the a little bit when i was reading through the nervous ghost website and then through your bio one thing that stuck out to me was that you emphasize that, that transformative power, how just putting pen to paper 
can give you maybe a perspective of yourself that you never saw, uh, you know, by transforming who you are, transforming how you feel, how you maybe how you organize your ideas, how you how you deal with your emotions. Um, and particularly in relation to, let's say, trauma and self-discovery, which I think is two two very important uh, fundamental principles that we should be spending more attention on in, you know, like I mentioned, the more poor communities, you know, self-discovery and confronting trauma uh, and giving each other the support and the space that we need in those moments, you know. Uh, but again, so reading through the website, you know, it seems that you have a very strong belief in redemption in that sense, right? Like accumulating all your struggles, all your failures, and then arising from it, kind of like the phoenix, you know, coming from the ash. Yeah. Where does that belief come from? Where does that principle come from? From failing a lot. <laughs> And when I was, and I talk about this all, this is kind of my, one of my biggest identity things is I was a sick baby. I was super sick. It's a little, a little, even was premature. I was tiny, I was a twin. So we were both real small, but I, I got the brunt of it, I guess. And so in school, I didn't talk a lot. I couldn't really read. I would put a book in front of me. I would start crying. I cried. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. In there. Yeah. And, and you think, you think you're worthless. You think you're stupid. You think actually you have more things of value because you can't, this was the biggest lesson I read in my early 20s, was that because I couldn't ask for compassion, because I was afraid to speak, whatever it was, I didn't know how to be compassionate. Because I never, like, I could never come home and be like, I'm sad, give me a hug. I saw kids do that, and I'm like, oh, that's so weird, I couldn't do that ever, hell no. And what I'm realizing is that no matter how negative we see ourselves, I don't think if I wanted to go back in time, you know, everybody says, would you change it? If you went back in time, would you have never been sick? And of course, the easy answer is, oh, hell yeah, right? Yeah. You know more, whatever it is. But the real answer is no. Because no matter what, how difficult it was or however the issues made me feel at the time or what the impact was, it made this. I think I'm doing okay. And so now what I've realized that with my nightmares and all the demons and the things that I, that I see all the time, I tell people, if it's behind me, if it's back there, then it means I'm going forward no matter what. And I can keep it. I used to think that you had to overcome your fears and kill them. And then I realized is I'm still scared every day, but I have a little bit more power over it and it doesn't control me. I control it. And then every once in a while, I need to remember to let myself fall into the pit let myself feel that way again. Let myself feel like a blah, like, a, like I'm just worthless again. But with the knowledge that tomorrow I'm going to wake up, get back to work, get my things going, and do what I got to do. And so a lot of part, and then with, with art, of course, a big part of that is use art. Create it. Take all that nasty shit. Take all the horrible things. Take all the, the negativities and put that effort and create something beautiful. Create something that is, that is, forever that is immortal and that can that can save of course save lives because that's what art does and so it's kind of a big a big component yeah and i think i think it's important that you even bring it up at all because these are conversations that i think aren't really happening in our communities in our groups you know we're where we for the most part i know my parents 
Um, you know, they say hurt people hurt people. They say, you know, cycles continue, things like that, those cliches. But they're true because uh, if your parents, let's say, don't offer the type of support that's necessary from a parent, then the next, uh, the next place you look is in your community. You know, and what we see in uh, the working class especially is that people are often indoctrinated by other groups, you know, like gangs and things like that. You know, they kind of get a hold of them before. And, and they built that same family, you know, familial structure around, let's say, something like a gang, you know, which th that's why it's a very complex conversation to have. But it's necessary because uh, if we can recognize where it begins, then we can recognize uh, a solution for it. Um, and I think when you say, you know, about confronting those dark, those dark emotions, those dark ideas, you know, nightmares and just understanding what that is. And, you know, there's so two things that you, you made me think of were first the this, the paradox that exists in humans, you know, through the human condition, once again, that we always have a grass is greener perspective. You know, we always think that things are gonna be better if we just do one thing you know you you're single and you're like oh my life would be better if i had a girl and you get with this chick and then you're like oh i'll be better off if i had a better chick you know and then or like or I'll, I'll be better off if i was single you know even though you were just single wanting to be in a relationship now you're in a relationship wanting to be single but that's the human condition that's but being aware of that is step one in balancing it and then so that paradox that exists almost endlessly you know that's like a part of the buddhist doctrine is the, the the changing the always changing impermanence of life is what they call it and uh and also the second point was the shadow so you know carl jung a psychologist talks about this you know when breaking down the psyche one entire you know because he breaks it down into three parts you have your ego which is the outward expression you have uh your shadow, which is the in, innermost suppressed expression of yourself. And then you have the self, which is the, the entire two of them together. And in the shadow is where we find those things that you talk about. The things that we subconsciously suppress. That we Sometimes we don't even know why we don't like things. We just There's something about it that gives us an ick. And for some of us, this is like, like what we were just talking about. Like people rejecting creativity people rejecting themselves you know and and recognizing that those are elements of your entire self that need to be incorporated into your existence you know like that needs that's something that you can utilize you know like those dark thoughts shouldn't be looked at as your enemies more like a part of the story you know yeah. and um you know and so you know with all this considered you know, and with your experiences, you know, so I imagine there are people who are listening, people who are listening who may relate to this uh, lack of self-esteem. You know, those who aren't able to, as we mentioned before, find an environment that's conducive to creativity. What advice would you give for balancing that exploration of those painful and challenging themes, you know, uh, such as trauma and grief? Like what methods do you find successful? I don't know how much success I have, but I know that when I deal with with grief, it's I still very much am 
like how I was raised. I was raised by a Mexican dad, a Mexican grandpa, right? Zero. <laughs> yeah. right. And so still even now, <clears throat> but I I won't talk about it. It won't, it won't happen. Nope, not, nope, not, never. Nope, don't do it. Nope, get out of my way. I'll have some whiskey, maybe, and I'll talk about it, of course. And then afterwards, you like, don't talk to me again. You still have yeah. But what I do now, and I hope maybe this could be what works for others, is that I have the awareness that maybe I'm not there yet. So instead of it's just a blanket wall, you're not going to get through to me. You're not going to use it against me and ammo. You're not going to come at me this way. It's a, I know what I am. I know where I'm at. I don't like talking about it, but I know it's possible at some point in the future. So there's that awareness. There's that understanding instead of just trying to live in ignorance about it. Like I can't change. I know that there's, I know that in the future, there will be a time and place where I can sit down one day and be like, Dude, I'm fucking sad today. Like, yeah. but not yet, right? Not yet. And so, that's what the writing. That's what the writing does. Because I can say that on a piece of paper. I can write that without having a fear of somebody using it against me. Because even though these days, try all you want, it's not gonna happen. There's still the innate child in here that's like, don't do it. They're gonna come at us. And just very different. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, with the grass is green and stuff. I tell people all the time i'm like sometimes the grass on the other side is mud <laughs> yeah. like it's just that's what it is and so something you know be happy with we're alive right now and we can we can always make it we can cultivate the ground we can cultivate what we have or we can grow together and maybe my grass and your mud creates the the soil that we need to to blossom and reach where we want to be that's a good metaphor yeah and and also, you know, because you mentioned there, like, and that's kind of why I brought up the shadow, because it relates to the idea of repression, what we repress, what, the things we reject. We, like, if, when you don't allow yourself to feel vulnerable, of course, that's a defense mechanism because you acknowledge that there are people who take kindness for weakness. They take people's uh, vulnerability for weakness. And that's something we don't want to be susceptible to, especially if we're aware that people are doing that. You know, you kind of like, I don't, you know, I can't really tell if this guy's like really, you know, cool or, or this chick's really cool. You know, if I could be like that or if, or if I have to just play the tough guy, you know, keep a steel face. And that's, and what that does psychologically, you know, is that it, it well, you know, you're, you're consciously repressing those emotions and you're repressing any behavior that exhibits those emotions. But oftentimes what happens is, you know, Sigmund Freud said this, that anything repressed comes back 10 times worse. And usually in, in that context, the repression of those emotions, you know, I don't want people to, I don't want to say that I need somebody to talk to. I don't want to say that I have ideas that I want to uh, express. You know, I don't want, you know, I really like, uh, I like seeing people play the guitar, but that's corny. You know, I don't want to play the guitar. And what happens is it actually comes back later on in your life with more intensity for wanting those things. And that's generally what happens. Like, um, especially, you know, as we mentioned, this this culture that exists in, in many Hispanic households uh, across different cultures is the idea of, you know, stone face, no emotions, you know, just stern, militant, iron fist type of rule over the household. Uh, but there are cases where, and I, I'm not going to say this is general, but it definitely happens where those people, when they get older, end up actually wanting company, you know, like they, you know, they're very stern, 
cold, but then they get older and they're like, oh, why aren't you coming to see me? And they get kind of get, you would say they get softer. You know, I don't think it's getting softer. I think it's just they're becoming more honest about how they feel. Yeah, but, you I know, yeah. yeah, I said the same thing. I mean, I, I have people in my life where I'm like, oh, man, they got soft. But like I said, it's, they're not getting soft. They, they may be understanding that it's not necessary anymore. Acting that way didn't really get them, but they thought it was going to get them. And at this point, you know, hey, I just want to hang out with somebody. It, yeah. Good. Yeah. And it's it's definitely the case with like the way we the way we process our emotions you know because emotions come to us as as idea or yeah kind of in the same space the same mindscape as ideas you know and for the most part they're involuntary you know usually we're conditioned to have emotional responses to things so deep down i think like even with ideas like family which is something that um, you know, that in itself could get controversial with some people, but I think family is a concept that is, it will, number one, it goes back to when we first started evolving the, the communal, the idea of having a community, having a tribe, that that's something that means something to us without us ever having to think about it. Like, I don't have to tell you what it means to have a family, to have a, a council of people that you can trust. Uh, so where you put that in society reflects on how the society is going to behave you know like nowadays in the again to focus on our, our community in our community because we have such a lack of let's say we have many households that lack fathers we have uh this same experience of of non non-emotional uh interactions between families uh we that not being present in the community plays itself out in the community in the way that people behave. And, you know, we definitely see how, how that plays out, you know, and nobody knows better than the community. You know, like if I tell you for, if I tell you that people in the working class, you know, in the hood, for lack of a better term, are aggressive, they're hard to deal with, they're unagreeable, they're emotional. You know, people know that's true. They know it's true. You know, if they live in the community, they know that it's true, but they don't know why it's true. And oftentimes it gets uh, politicized and they'll say, oh, it's because of systemic this and systemic that. And and I, there's definitely systemic influence, but ultimately the decisions are up to the community. So we, we also have the capability to not conform to the system, you know, to just develop our own. Um, but yeah, so so now I want to move on to that idea right there, that that status quo idea. So historically, you know, returning to our creative conversation, historically, artists and writers, you know, including poets, often play a role in expressing societal issues that are present in their lifetime. And they often, uh, in doing this, foster empathy from the reader or the observer, you know, like, like we mentioned in the beginning. If you if you look at middle age, uh, dark age uh, art, you could kind of feel the emotions that were present in the society. So they, you know, typically there's a fostering of empathy from the observer. Um, and for the most part, this is usually done by resonating with people. You know, as we mentioned, as you mentioned, that the the prince the the thing that we feel within art that's not the art itself it's the idea or or the spark of the idea that um you know that resonates through backgrounds through walks of life you know uh like music today you know there's a lot of 
different people from different cultures that listen to the same music because that music carries an energy that they can relate to regardless of the substance of the art they carry that um the message or the feeling with them so what i want to ask you now as the poet let's let's give you that that responsibility i'm gonna say you're the poet of our lifetime and using your creative lens if we zoom out and reflect on our current era this moment right now what do you think the theme of our time is what, what would the theme of this painting be theme of this painting i'm thinking fear but also strength through the fear in that it's okay to be afraid but use it instead of being afraid and not walking outside be afraid walk outside carry the fear with you succeed at whatever it is while you're still afraid and let it be something that is fuel to whatever your passions are whatever your hope is whatever your dreams are instead of something that takes away use it and feed off of it and that what the art does and they look back and they'll say oh man that guy, well first of all that guy was dope right of course but in that you have in your writing, the ability to capture generations of fear, generations of pain, generations of trauma. And you turn and you're the one that turned it into something beautiful. And so that every generation after now has a history of beauty instead of a history of pain. And so that's what those are the art does there. So fear so turning so fear, but, but a hopeful type of, like not, not a, what's the word? Like not a destructive fear, but a productive fear. Like, yeah, absolutely. You think that right now we have the capability, do you think people are, let's say, do you think there's, um, there's methods for people to do, like, what are the methods you think for people to do that considering the time that we live in? We have, well, we have so many resources, but it's just being creative in any way. And that, that could be just, just a pen and a paper. It could be chalk on the ground. It could be anything. Just as long as people are, as long as people continue to create, but not continue to create for an audience, but continue to create for themselves. If we can continue that and just really kind of hammer that home to young kids and, and older people, just everybody across the world that if you're creating for what is born from inside of your body, then we'll, I think we'll be okay. But if we continue and only create for money, then it's a little bit dull and bland and the, the power is gone. Because the power when you're creating something that is from that darkest place you've ever been in is what brings you into that place. And then if I'm in the pit and I'm creating something and it's horrible and it's nightmares and there's monsters, but it brings you in, now you're there with me, you can pull me out. Mm. Then I can do the same thing for someone. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I think... I think what's what's ironic as well is you know you mentioned how social media uh, definitely has an effect on people's um, view of themselves um, in terms of causing depression and causing uh, a comparative 
comparative understanding of ourselves rather than just learning from the inside who we are. You know, we're we're often comparing ourselves to others, and I think again, ironically, that's more of the outcome more of the time. Even though social media, you know, the idea of social media is that we're creating an online community, but but why is a community creating so much isolation? You know, it's like that's because that's really the product. Is people are, you know, like the idea that's often said is like, oh, you got so much access to different people around the world, and that's okay. That's fine. And as, you know, if you have somebody that's across the world and you need to talk to them, then perfect but i think what it does is it also removes you from your current situation in terms of you're not even interacting with your own life as much as you're interacting with online you're you're interacting more with the cyber reality rather than the present reality that you have some influence on you know i think i think when you're constantly using that something that you can't do you know that's an idea that the greeks came up with it's like uh Epictetus, you know, he came up with that idea that, you know, there's two types of things in life, the things that you can control and the things that you can't control. And focusing too much on the things you can't control is going to drive you crazy because you're always going to be wondering why it's not the way it is or the way that you would like, but but you can't even control it. So, you know, focus on the things that you can control. And I think people can't control online, but they want to. They want to kind of make sense of the things that exist in the metaverse if you will in the you know digital world but without making any sense of their reality which they can actually make more sense of does that make sense to you does that make sense (laughs) yeah and you know part of what i was thinking about earlier you know like you said it's so fast we see so many things in our our phones just constantly just hitting us in the face like sometimes just slow down take a walk Walk to the local market and say hi to the to the worker, the owner, instead of ordering it from the computer. And it, we're so lonely these days, and yet we are in constant communication with people twenty four seven. But we are so lonely. And I think that's what again art can do is like it brings us together and it says, "You're someone that I've never met before in my entire life." However, people we're and it hurts, and I'm hurting their weight thing, but we can build that together. We have to, at some point, be able to communicate with the people here instead of just the phone, because we're not robots yet. I don't know. Maybe one day, but we're still humans. We got to start acting like some us. Oops. Yeah, that's one of the... We'll get into that in a little bit. Before we get to that, all right, so you mentioned the... Um, before, before this, you mentioned that, you know... Um, how having money in the place uh, you know if the goal is money that corrupts the art you know and that that creates an unnatural an unnatural culture i think to say i guess that's one way to put it an unnatural culture um so here's here's the next point and the question that i want to ask um so you know in my view uh, you know, the majority of the work that comes from the entertainment industry today, you know, that, you know, w- which is what art is supposed to be, you know, in a society, culture expresses itself and that expression is typically what the art is, whether it be 
song and dance, cave paintings, uh, drawings, you know, whatever the case, you know, it's the way the culture expresses itself says something of the culture in it of itself. Uh, so it's my view that, you know, the majority of the art that comes from the entertainment industry, it, it has a lack in terms of a quality of timelessness, you know, because the motive is profit. Uh, you know, most commercial enterprise typically centers around trends, viral moments. You know, what's hot today? How can we make the hottest product right now? And I think that model of art, it again, hijacks passion. And as a result, a majority of artists tend to conform to that model, right? Because they feel like we need to capture, you know, you mentioned if you're not getting likes, you're kind of like that might discourage somebody from sharing their art you know but there's so much more value than just the money when it comes to art um but again that says more about our society so you know in my opinion this is greatly hurting the art i think uh not only on an individual level is it hurting the artist as i just mentioned but i think uh if we look back just in the past few decades let's start at the year 2000 um, I think the quality of art available in pop culture is decreasing and continuing to decrease to this day, whether it be music, whether it be, you know, I think at one point there was even an art to commercials, you know, but now even commercials themselves are not even like they have no soul. It's the same thing. Um, and so I feel like the quality is decreasing. And I think this is due to this oversaturation, you know, that I'm talking about of trying to create the next viral thing trying to create the next what's the next hit you know so i want to ask you how do you feel about that oversaturation of the markets that's occurring in our current society in america and uh what do you think are some of the exercises or habits that an artist can develop to ensure uh number one originality and number two consistency yeah like the market sucks just <clears throat> i think that's just a fact i think a lot of people know it but they won't say it because they'll get fired whatever it is and it's very formulaic because someone found someone discovered the perfect formula for every movie for every song you have maybe intro verse verse bridge chorus chorus bridge whatever it was and it sold a billion albums and so now every song is the same way and it's just it's just kind of a plug and play. You put in this finger and then that singer. Nobody cares. Five years, there's a new one. Same songs, same sounds. Because it was, again, for money and for profit, like you said. And if we were to, if you took money away, and if you ask any singer or any band or any musician, any movie writer, script writer, and so on, and you say, if you didn't get paid and it wasn't a job, and you already had all the money in the world and it was just your passion project, what movie would you write? And it would be totally different than anything that we have on TV. And the songs would be totally different. They would experiment with different sounds. They would play the instrument that they wanted to play. They would say the words they wanted to do. And they would hit the notes that they felt comfortable hitting instead of just because certain decibels may be more marketable than other decibels. And what young artists and what we can do, I think is very, as an independent kind of organization, is kind of stay, try to stay independent. The problem is, you can't succeed. Not well. It's harder to succeed uh, independently because the bigger companies will buy you out. They'll sell you. They'll stop you. They'll stuff you out. They'll extinguish whatever fire you thought you had. And if we, whoever we are, have the 
the the soul of it is not money, then they can't stomp us out because you can't get bought because it doesn't matter if you take away my ability to market. I'm not here to make money either way. And then we find other ways to succeed. And then that success becomes built on and by the community. And then you and I and other people, they're coming together and we're getting each other voices. And those artists are coming in and they get a platform. They can talk at the open mic and they can write it. They can read it. They can do something. We have our, our full-time jobs on the side that then fund the passion, that keep it, that keep it alive and keep the platform open for the others. And if we can kind of get to a place where we're not creating art for money, we're creating art for all of us to survive, to live and to thrive. And we're not going anywhere. The art is better, it's stronger, it's soulful. And then it has a purpose and it can carry us to wherever they want to go. Yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, that's a very insightful, uh, insightful analysis of it. You know, there is many consequences of it. Like uh, that cookie cutter idea of we got a hit this is how it was made keep repeating it and you know people catch on to it um yeah. you know they but but some of the, there's a substantial population that's just so deeply conditioned into consumerism that they just don't know they you know that's the interesting thing about consumerism that it's not just a market phenomenon it's also a psycho psychological phenomenon where you get like a you get like a dopamine hit from buying something because it feels like there's a purpose to the product and the purpose is really just something that was marketed to you but it but it becomes subconsciously accepted like you wear nike and you feel like you're a part of something but why because all you've really done is just put more money into the pockets of a corporation that doesn't need your money and they could care less about you and you know, if you stop buying Nike tomorrow, they wouldn't care. They would just, just replace you with another consumer. So I think there's there's an important uh, acknowledgement to be made there where uh, in the same way we're conditioned to be workers, we're also conditioned to in what we spend with the money that we work for, you know? And... And it's interesting how we've been convinced that the most, the most, the highest thing that we can do with our money is buy social status, let's say. You yeah. could buy this designer thing and then people are going to look at you and then you're going to, you know, shoot the picture and put it up on Instagram. And you're going to get this strange like sense that you're, that you've achieved some status. But it's all imaginary, right? Because the and ultimately the market's point is to make money it's profit so you can never do more than just give money to that system versus you know uh and this is where i think our our purposes is like in terms of transforming the working class attitude is uh you know even if you are making art for money you know uh not not that money is the goal but you know obviously it can be lucrative if enough people find it valuable you know it doesn't you don't have to say it's valuable sometimes people decide that and want to support you and you know that that's part of what you're saying when it's like more than just buying the thing you know more than just selling the thing more than just selling your art you're providing 
some, uh, let's say, interpretation of an idea that resonates with people so much that they see that it's valuable. And that's exactly what's happening in the market. It's just it's much less obvious because they're they're spending millions. And this is another, uh, you know, to your point where it's hard to remain independent because you get squashed like a little bug if, if you're competing against a multi-million dollar marketing budget. That's just how it's going to go. Uh, but the only thing that beats capital is, you know, uh, unionization, you know, uh, if you have enough people that are willing or enough people that are interested, then that in itself can beat out, you know, the artificial, because if you actually do resonate with people, then that transcends any type of market thing. You know, we see this, this does happen, you know, uh, it's not that it doesn't happen, but I think it happens less often in our community where people are let's say if you know the homie starts a, a painting brand or something like that you're like you kind of for some reason people will hesitate to invest in their their friends dreams even in people that are just in the community because there's there's not yet a community around it you know a part of what we buy into in, in pop culture is the fact that we can you know like i mentioned the social status and there's no social status in being a, a, a single supporter you know, it's like the comment section is going to be small. You know, you're not going to be talking to a lot of people versus, you know, you go on this big page that, and everybody's commenting and it's like you're a part of this social system and, you know, there's so much more reward to that psychologically. But if we could just, you know, like it's been hijacked the passion, if we could just steal it right back and, and inspire people and say, Hey, like you don't realize, but it's, it could easily go the other way and you can get so much more from it because somebody who's from the community, let's say will invest in the community, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, the community gets stronger and there's, there's nothing wrong with, with a friend creating a brand and making so much money off of it. And as long as I think in my, in my view, anyway, it, the genesis of the idea wasn't money because yeah. You can, I mean, you can tell, think about like, all these restaurants. They started out as a little cool taco cart, whatever it was. And it was amazing. It was flavorful. It was delicious. And then they got a giant chain and they had to start selling 50,000 pounds of, of whatever every week. So they had to cut down on the recipe because, hey, I can't, I can't make it. I can't marinate it for 24 hours. I got to sell it tomorrow. And then flavor went down a little bit because now the focus, instead of making a good dish, was paycheck. And... It's just, it's very, it's very sad to see when we kind of, we sell ourselves for the money. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and also, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing that you bring up that, uh, that perspective where like we, you know, the, the system calls for an accumulation of wealth. That's one of the biggest issues that, that's in our economy. That so much of the wealth is accumulated at the top and that's a part of this uh that's a part of the attitude around the market that we think that it has to accumulate in the hands of one pe one person you know for whatever the case but um to prevent something like that you know like you say uh people who go from 100 clients on the weekend to now they're having 10,000 clients in the weekend now they have to kind of uh, automate some of their process you know it loses some of its originality loses some of its soul but i i think this is the moment where we have the most opportunity to spread the wealth because then you know what you could do is 
create a chain and then you know kind of spread the customers you know but i i think that's that's a complicated thing to do but i think it's at least something to consider like like okay that's the right direction to go how do we how do we make sure that we're constantly coming up with new ideas you know that's why i think the idea of like temporary like um like a farmer's market like a pop-up farmer's market is really good because it's kind of like it gives it gives it's always something new but it's always the same people so at least it's like they they're able to so you're more supporting the idea and the person's creativity uh rather than going to the same store and that, you know that's another thing is like the architecture things like all these things play a part in the way we look at things we see these skyscrapers we see these buildings we see a thousand Starbucks is everywhere. We see targets every, and that's like okay, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Like, no, you, you actually don't have to do that. You could you could just make a shit ton of money if you just buy a little space and then turn it into like a market area, and then it's like a market hub, and that's not something that's being done, uh, at least not consistently in our community. But it's something that you can do, and you can actually, you know, give people a new outlet you know but th these are ideas this is a again connect way back to the beginning where it's like these are ideas that are pretty unrealistic that are kind of crazy but they can be done if you organize people you know and if you if you get enough people behind it and people who genuinely want products that come from their community you know they want to support something that they can see the they can see uh the consequence of their support right away then you know that's how you create a more tight community and then that's also how you solve some economic disparity yeah yeah a friend a friend of mine we're trying to start an arts pop-up a new entity and and for that exact reason where we're bringing people who are local vendors who are business owners in the community and show people that we have the products here you don't have to go to the big giant store you can get it right down the street but then part of the problem is the where the value is and is the value in the community or is the value of money so i can pay i don't drink coffee but i know a lot of friends like they're all into coffee stuff so i can pay 15 or 10 dollars for a local business owner handcrafted cup of coffee or i can spend five dollars at starbucks and so am i valuing my money more or am i valuing the community more and that the discussion around value needs to be, I think, understood at a more human level where I'll spend more money on you because you're here and then you're going to build up here. You're going to build up your neighbors and it'll just cycle within each other. And then we all, we all kind of succeed together, but instead it's what can I get cheaper? Of course. And then the problem is if. Let's say I make a t-shirt from my friend and he charges me $15 because he has to do it all himself. It's all, you know, by hand, whatever else. And then I get a little bit bigger and now I have to order 10,000 t-shirts. Well, now I got to go to the warehouse that's, that's way cheaper. And unfortunately all my money in the community now is going out of the community. Mm. Like how can we, and with, like you said, with the pop-up, with ours pop-ups, then maybe hopefully it can, we can show how powerful we are here and then it can kind of build and grow and, and kind of be infectious, I guess. I think that's a cool way to say it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that's the result of 
you know, you know, pop ups aren't a new idea, but you know, just the the approach where you're not just using the traditional method mm-hmm. that in itself can be valuable. You know, just doing something different, whatever different means. You know, even if it's even if it's not unique, but it's just not usual either. Um, and you know, you brought up the interesting point that people, the way they see money being spent is, you know, there's an interesting thing because money is bent. Money, you know, is is a, you know, it's currency. It's just to buy things. That's what the purpose of money. You know, if your if your purpose of money is to save it, then you shouldn't be spending it at all, really. You know, um, but if you're trying to get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of making sure that that purchase is meaningful, then I think, yeah, then you have to consider, um, you know, and, and this also has to do with, you know, the multi-million dollar marketing budgets that condition you to just trust Starbucks, to trust Apple, right? You buy an Apple iPhone, I have an iPhone. You buy the iPhone and you, you feel like if your homie made a phone, you probably wouldn't trust it. But, you know, uh, Apple makes a phone and you trust it and you feel good for having it because people have iPhones and you can FaceTime and there's this whole network of just having an iPhone. Uh, but you're also, if you want to get more about it, you're paying for the child labor in China that, you know, and the cobalt mining in the Congo for the chips. And that's a much less ethical purchase than if you were to just... You know, let's say your homie has a warehouse where he's building it himself. But at least, you know, it's, you know, but it's, this is, this is the mindset that, that is instilled in you so that you can be a consumer. You need yeah. to not quite, you just need to want to spend less money. And then people are going to give you cheap products and then you buy them because they're cheap. And, and then you feel good just because you saved like two bucks. And, and that's the whole psychological condition of our current society that we, don't even know why we feel good for saving $2 uh, because you might spend $2 more somewhere else and feel even better about your purchase. It's just, it's the way you look at it. You know, the perspective, uh, but all right. So just to move into like the, the last two questions, these last two questions pertain more. So we've been talking about the past, mm-hmm. you know, the, the present, and now I want to talk about the future, you know? So, so where, are we headed? You know, I'm sure maybe you think about this, you know, this is probably something, you know, when you study history, you're often going to ask what comes next, you know, because at some point we're going to be in history. Um, so right now, you know, one of the popular uh, topics of discussion is AI, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, not only that it might replace people in, in the, in jobs, but also, you know, um, in among creative people, when you talk about AI, uh, from my perspective, or from what I hear, I think there's two popular perspectives. And um, the two most popular perspectives are, uh, you know, considering the rate at which AI is evolving, you know, just last year, it was just a few words, and they could convert pictures. Now there's videos that could be made, you could fake things in in 10 minutes, you know, I mean, it's, it's just evolving so rapidly. I think that there's the side of people who are becoming fatalistic and they feel that AI might be the end of art as we know it. It might, it might completely, you know, if we're talking about saturation by, by these corporations, you know, AI is just going to help them saturate it times a million. Um, 
so that's one perspective the fatalistic kind of ai might be the end of art but the other perspective i think is that ai isn't capable of doing what humans are capable of doing when it comes to art and creative expression that no robot no machine could possibly uh create a piece of art that resonates with people the same way a human can and so i want to know like uh you know, and also a part of that is that we recognize, again, that art has this art in itself is intrinsically a human thing. Uh, the market is the market and products are products, but true, the tr art at its purest form is, in, is intrinsic to humanity. And um, I want to know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you have one of those perspectives or what's your opinion on AI? I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not worried about AI at all. And in academia, a lot of professors are scared of AI or chat GPT or whatever. If the students are going to write those papers, those papers are not good because there's no human behind it. it. Can't analyze. It can't feel. And you can, you can tell AI, Hey, write me a poem about burying a loved one. That, that thing will scour the entire internet and look at everything that anybody's ever written about burying somebody. But you know what it's never done? It's never buried somebody. And it, and it never will. And so as far as art is concerned, I, I'm not worried about AI at all. It, it cannot replace us because it has never been a human. It doesn't know what it feels like. It doesn't have that the capability to feel human emotions because it's not. And even if someone could program an AI to feel like a human, it will never be a human, period. And so I know a lot of people, they talk about it all the time. I'm like, I'm not worried about it. It might make something that looks really cool, it might make a poem that sounds nice. That's it. It'll be surface level. It'll be optics and nothing else. And so with, <clears throat> with art anyway, or with AI, it's just, like you said, it's very human. And when I read, when I teach Frankenstein, I have a theory. And then at the end of the novel, we talk about, I ask him, what does it mean to be a human? Or who was, or when was the monster the most human? And of course, everybody says, Victor was the monster, the monster was the human and so on. But my theory about what makes humans humans is our capacity to hate without cause or without a reason and so dogs and animals will fight back out of survival out of instinct the monster at its most human when i explain it to my students is when it murdered innocent people to make victor suffer that that was when he became the most human now he was still a monster in that moment but he was also had that he was the most human because humans, we have the capability to just hate somebody on purpose, just not out of self-preservation, not out of survival. It's just, I hate you. I want you to suffer, period. And that hate, that emotion goes into our art, goes into our poetry or music or songs or dancing or painting. And AI will never be able to do it. It can read the novel, but it won't ever know what it is. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, a perspective on it that that's an honest perspective number one you know I don't think a lot of people consider that you know in, in language it's called displacement you know so what we have is ideas and that, that's kind of where they where they draw the line of separation is that we have we can understand an idea we can understand the basic concept we can understand its relation in our language and then you know at the very tip top you have uh, communication. You know, I can talk to you. I can say computer to you. And, and that's a telepathic sort of communication because all I'm saying is computer, but that means something to you. So we're 
and then on top and the last level the displacement level is what they say makes us humans is the ability to leave the moment and consider ideas relative to each other so like you mentioned the monster is able to understand that hate that that by doing this action of killing people it causes pain in another human this is nothing that has nothing to do with yourself besides the action that you're going to commit the the entire idea is based on somebody else's emotions and that displacement of thought is what people uh, in psychology often refer to as the human element of thinking you know like like you mentioned animals can calculate they can even you know seem intelligent you know i think a lot of animals do have intelligence and but that separation is that future past perspective and the potential for actions you know and, and i think that's i think you know uh you brought up again that there the ai is also based on information that already exists data that already is collected and even if it can create something new or create or you know like you could type in like oh i'm trying to solve this problem give me some potential solutions it's there's still parameters that exist so even though it seems like a creative response is still determined you know uh, at least more determined than the creativity that we have access to you know we can come up with just absurd ideas you know you could just draw a blob and say that it's that it's a, a, a monster or something and it's like wait how is that what is it but that's the creative element to it. it's like oh, okay i get it it's like the ink blot test you know they show you some ink and then you're like oh i see a monkey eating a banana and then you look and it just looks like a like a you know a piece of uh, ink so it's like wait how did that you know that's the creative element so yeah i think that's um i think when you say you know you're not worried i think i think that comes from also your uh relationship to your own creative process mm -hmm. which i think again you know going back to the beginning is an important concept to introduce to people is that you know get familiar and comfortable with what creativity is in your mind how you get creative you know like how do you how much fun are you having with ideas you know not just how good are you understanding them because sometimes when you understand something the meaning changes oh absolutely yes yeah. and AI, i mean ai can make something that makes you go oh wow that's really nice but a human can paint a picture that touches your soul and the ai can't do it because it has no soul unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah. That's, you know, and that, that kind of goes into the question of consciousness and all that stuff, but that's a whole nother hour long discussion in itself. Uh, but all right. So lastly, the last thing I want to know, you know, speaking about the future, um, you began your endeavor with nervous ghost press and, uh, just to wrap everything up, I want to know what are your aspirations and visions for that project? You know, how do you hope, uh, to continue your work? in the literary 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 world and uh how do you hope to contribute to this idea of a more inclusive and and empowering artistic landscape for everybody i want the i want the press to be a juggernaut i want it to be you know a monster in the community but not for myself for everybody else and so one of my biggest goals is i want to get enough grants or contributions or however it all works 
and then hire people, hire local kids who want to learn how to edit, sit them in front of a computer. They have a full-time job, hire a, a music assistant. I don't know what they're, whatever they're called, a sure. painter or something, right. And a designer. And they now have a career that is viable in the arts. And I want to create jobs and then have those people hire people and start their own businesses and show people that the arts can be something that you can pay your bills with, that it doesn't have to be just a hobby. It doesn't have to be just a side passion project. You don't have to have the conversation where your family hates you because you're not going to be the doctor anymore. You're going to go be a singer, go be a singer and, and live with it and make money off of it. And then I hope that we continue to build a space where the community knows that if they are passionate about the arts, if they have the arts, that it is healing, it is unifying, and that it brings us, it brings us hope, it brings us happiness and, and passion and everything in between. And that at some point, it wouldn't be me anymore, it'd be someone else talking to you. And I just get to sit back and kind of just say, you know, like swim, swim fishies and grab for the yeah, well, that's that's a that's a noble mission, you know, and I and I think that, you know, I believe in our, in our potential not only as uh, a community but as individuals, you know, and I think we're uh, hopefully headed in that direction, you know. So, you know, yeah. um, whatever you got going on, you know, we got your back and everything. So uh, that's yeah. dope, and we'll be looking forward to it. And hopefully, we got you back on and we could uh, do the. You know, dive more deep into your, your actual work, you know, and things like that. But besides that, you know, we got an hour and a half. So, uh, any last words that you want to say before we sign off? We got our open mic on the 27th at in Pico River. I'll, I'll text you about it. But yeah, just and for anybody listening, if you are creative, just create it, just do it. Don't worry about if people are going to like it, don't worry about how they'll react if they read your poem. Let them read the poem and text you and say, oh my God, I can't, are you like, let them, let them worry. Just get it out there. Don't worry about how <laughs> they can live it, feel it, write it, and so on. All right, well, once again, thank you to Matthew at uh, Nervous Ghost Press. You guys check out Nervous Ghost Press. They got a bunch of artwork over there, uh, poems and books and things like that. And uh, get in contact with him if you feel like you want to be a part of the project there. And, uh, yeah, once again, thank you. Appreciate you coming on. It was a good conversation. It was good to hear your perspective on everything. And, um, yeah, with that being said, you guys already know the deal. It's been another episode of Cut Talk Radio. As always, be safe.